I wanted to talk just a few minutes with all of us this morning about Plan B. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at my life, Plan B comes in three areas. There's three major categories. One is circumstances. Those are those daily surprises you didn't see coming. That's a Plan B circumstance. Then there are seasons of Plan B. Now, a season is that really excruciating time of waiting and patiently pleading with God for the what's next in your life. And then there's the plan B defining moments, because out of those defining moments, there is a new normal. And as we look into this this morning, I think the backdrop has to be the Exodus. Tom has done an amazing job as we have worked through the Israelites and their Exodus. But this morning, this morning, I would like us to look at plan B in their eyes and to see how it applies to us. Take your scriptures first of all and turn over to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. It says, The whole Israelite community, starting in verse 1, set out for Elam in this desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, they came out of Egypt in the desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now drop down to verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Now, whenever I read about the Exodus, what is hard to even comprehend is how many people were making that track to the Promised Land. Some scholars say a million, some say two million. So just for us to get a handle on how hard it is to move a group of people, I want you to think of it in a different term. Okay, there's a famous picture, it's Martin Luther King, and he is uh, delivering his message on, I have a dream. It's estimated that day in 1963 that there were 200,000 people there that day. Now, I did some other research, and I found out if you take Monroe County, all of the citizens from Monroe County, with all of the IU students who are in session, and you put them all together, it would be around 200,000. So imagine our entire county gathering together, all right? And as we gather together, we have been in bondage, our county, for over 400 years. And as we're gathering one evening, our leader stands up, and our leader says, two great things have just occurred. Number one, you've been in bondage for over 400 years. You are free. Now put yourself there. What would you do if I said, you are free? How would you react? Really? Let's go better. Ah, oh, you just beat Kentucky. That's what I'm talking about. All right. We are so sinful in our nature here. Okay. Here's the second thing. Not only are you free, but we are taking a journey to a promised land, to a nation that is your nation. Can you imagine the party that would take place that night? How many hundreds of people would be in Showalter Fountain? How many cups of coffee at the poorhouse would people be drinking? How many people would just go absolutely nuts? Why? Because they're free, and there's a destination, and there's a promised land ahead. But here's the problem. You know what the problem is? They wake up the next morning, and guess what? They're hungry. And they go from this ecstasy of God is with us to God, where are you? I need food right now. And they begin to grumble. Now, let me share something with you. When I read that, even as a kid, I thought, what is the problem? How can you grumble? Now think about us. What happens when we are taken out of our daily routine? How do we handle that? Oh, we don't grumble like the Israelites, do we? Think about the routines that we all go through. If you're a college student, it's when you've done a huge paper and your laptop crashes. 
It's when you've had a terrible day and the next day looks like it's worse and then stomach flu. And this is a beautiful thing in Bloomington. It's when you're driving through Bloomington and maybe you spill coffee. Or maybe you have a dead battery. Or maybe you've been rerouted because there's construction once again in Bloomington. Can I have an amen? Yeah. We've all dealt with plan B's. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm part of a really strange club. And it's a, it, it's a really difficult club to describe. It's the, when I get up in the morning, I have to have a cup of coffee club. Does anybody else belong in that club? Don't raise your hands. Don't skip to yourself. But um, it's interesting. There's even people on staff that I've traveled with, and they're a part of this really interesting club. And I don't want to mention names, Vicki Carmichael and uh, Claudia Mitchell. But anyway, if you don't have your cup of five bucks, uh, Starbucks, if you don't have your cup of coffee in the morning, what do you turn into? The word is not Christian, okay? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And that's the problem, is what we've been taking out of our routine. Now imagine an entire nation, not a county or a town, but imagine an entire nation, and they're saying, wait a second, Moses, you mean God is going to ask of us to live plan B right now in our daily routines? And the answer is absolutely. So my question this morning is, how in the world can we navigate through even those daily plan B experiences to start moving towards experiencing God at a deeper level? Uh, there's an amazing book uh, that uh, I can't wait to get into. I've read just sections of it, but it's by Ann Van Camp, and it's called 1,000 Gifts. And what I love about it is she issues a challenge that I think has so much potential. And it's one that I've taken on these last few days. And here's the challenge. And I'll tell you why the challenge is so important. I really get annoyed with people who give me bumper sticker solutions to everyday problems. Do you know what I mean? TV evangelist, turn that frown upside down. <laughs> oh, please, grow up. That's not that easy. Do you know what I'm saying? But let me give you a real solution. She had been through so many tragedies in her life that she felt that she needed to start writing down the gifts that God had already given her. And her goal was to write 1,000 gifts God had already given her. And she started writing them out. So the other night, I got to about 130. I'm writing out, and it was interesting. People I hadn't thought about in years, memories that I haven't had in years that I'd even thought about. And I was kind of proud of myself. And I said, hey, Marie, I've already got a list of 130. I'm thinking by, you know, sermon time, 1,000, boom. And she said, that's, that's not the way it works. You know, she said, did you read the whole book? And I'm like, <laughs> no. You know, and she said, well, if you read the whole book, every day, just write down a handful of things and gifts that God has brought your way. And I got to tell you something, it's powerful. If you were to just today walk away and say, you know, for the next several weeks, I'm just going to start listing a few things every day. And I'm, my goal is to reach a thousand of gifts God has given me. And the phrase that she uses that I love is like unwrapping God's love. And that's true. Matter of fact, her quote from the, the book that I love is simply this, Satan prowls, but his lion is on a leash. Satan prowls, but he is a lion that's on a leash. He cannot rob you of your joy. Even those times when those circumstances come your way and you know it's taking you out of your routine, get as quickly as you can into the presence of God. Robert Reidenhauer said this in the book entitled The Shattered Lantern. It says, the original sin of Adam and Eve the prototype of all sin, is presented as a failure to be receptive and grateful. And that is true. When we do not have a 
grateful heart. We are taking God out of his rightful position. God is on the throne. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. It says, when Pharaoh left his people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now I want you to just let that settle in. And I, I want to show you a map here that I think is, uh, is interesting. This is what it looked like when they came out of Egypt. Point A. And if they were to go from point A to the promised land, point B, it was roughly 225 miles, about a 30-day journey. Now, that's not a big deal, is it? I mean, those would have been some pretty encouraging marching orders for Moses to say, hey, I know they grumble, I know they gripe, I'm going to send manna, I'm going to send quail, just hold on for 30 days. But God said, Moses, here's the bottom line, they can't survive. They are not prepared for war. They need to go on a journey. And as they go on this journey, I'm going to draw them closer to me day in and day out. They're going to learn to trust me so that when they get to the promised land, they are ready. They are prepped for war. They're not there yet. So they're going to go on a journey. They're going to trust me. And that journey lasted two years. It's the season of waiting. None of us like to wait. For years, I can tell you that the hardest place by far for a minister when he's with a family is in the waiting room of a hospital. None of us like to wait. And yet you may be in a season right now in your life that that's the journey you're on. You want to get from point A to point B and God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not ready for you to get there yet. I need you to go on this journey with me so that you learn to trust me every day. It's that season of waiting. It happens when you make a move and you're waiting to get your life back together again. It's when you've come through a really bad relationship and it's that season where you learn to trust or maybe even love again. It's that season when you're searching for a meaningful job. It's the season between the x-rays and the results. It's the season where you're seeking the what's next in your life. And maybe some of you are there right now. And maybe that season will be a month. Maybe that season will be two years. But during that plan B, search tenaciously for God. Matter of fact, one of the definitions I always hear about the Israelites during this season is they call it the season of wandering. And I totally disagree with that because the modern definition of wandering is moving from place to place without plan or purpose. God had a plan and a purpose. And during our seasons of wandering, don't ever forget that. In 1999, our family went to Disney for the first time. Uh, you're going to think this is weird. We saved change for nearly three to four years uh, to pay for the tickets. Uh, I'll get the violins out now because we were just, a, you know, we lived in a log cabin. And so anyway, uh, we saved up all this money. And uh, then we, other, we did another really strange thing. We went to all the teachers and a principal. We took our kids in October to Disney World. Do you know why? Because daddy hates lines. You know, Space Mountain, yes. Two hours, no. And so we set the course to go to Disney because I hate lines. And you know what? You hate them too. We all hate lines. We hate waiting. But you ever thought God is doing amazing things in our life during the season of waiting? In an amazing book called Plan B, which is a book that I recommend for everybody here by Pete Wilson. It's in our bookstore. 
in that he mentions the stages of transformation. I want you to just briefly look at these stages because it's really important. He said, here's just kind of a normal perspective when people come to Christ, what it looks like. is They, first of all, have a life-changing awareness of God. Then they move into a discipleship or a Christian community. And then from that community, they practice what we would call the active life. They begin actually serving others. And then somewhere along the line, there's a crisis of belief, and it's called the inward journey. It's where we begin asking the tough questions. Do I really believe this stuff I've been taught for all these years? Do I really put my faith in God? Matter of fact, let me share with you a statistic that breaks my heart. Uh, The Southern Baptists surveyed their students as they went to college. How many students continued going to church their freshman year of college? Do you want to guess the percentage that dropped out? 88%. Why? Because when you get to college, guess what? Your mom's faith, your dad's faith, your grandpa's faith doesn't mean a thing. You have to develop your faith. All of you in this room probably have come to a point in your life that you had this inward journey where you began to question your faith. And during that crisis and during that waiting period, you begin to cling to God. And when you come out on the other side, there's an outward journey. But now it's not driven by guilt. It's an outward journey that is driven by God's love, and it's motivated by God's grace. It's your faith. And we develop that faith through the plan B living and the season of waiting. Mark Batterson said it this way, I tend tend to live the way I drive. I want to get from point A to point B in the shortest amount of time and by the easiest route possible. But I've come to realize that getting where God wants me to go isn't nearly as important as becoming who God wants me to be in the process. God seems to be far less concerned where I'm going than he is who I'm becoming. And then last of all, simply those defining moments that lead to the new normal. Numbers 14 is one of the most heartbreaking scriptures in the entire Bible. And I just want to read um, verse 24, verse 23, excuse me. It said, not one of them will see the land that I promised, the oath to their forefathers. None of them who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because of my servant Caleb, who has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will give it to him. If you grew up, How many of you grew up in Sunday school in church? Anyone here grew up? Okay, so you remember that little song that all teachers used to teen saying, 10 spies went to Canaan, 12 spies went to Canaan. Remember that? 10 were bad and two were what? Good. And who were the two good spies? Caleb and Josh. And then they saw the promise line. Now, I I didn't realize that until this week when God said, these two guys are going to see the promise line. Did you notice who God did not put in that list? I didn't catch that until this week. He didn't put Moses. I wonder if Moses caught that, (laughs) like, oh, that's a bummer, you know, I'm not going in. But what's interesting is what a defining moment. When God sent those spies in and Moses sent those spies in, it was to bring back the report that this is an amazing place I've prepared for you. But instead, the spies came back and they were focused not on the land in front, they were focused on the enemy ahead and they gave up. And it was Joshua and Caleb just screaming and pleading with the people, don't, don't do this. Don't give up on God. And at that defining moment, they walked away from God. And the sad thing is, for 40 years, God made them 
pay for a very, very bad decision. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess that he has promised us, for God is faithful. God is on his throne, and God is faithful. And when you come to these points in life, that, and it's not a defining moments, when you have these defining moments, that you come through that defining moment, and now there's a new normal. When you get to that point, God is reaching out to you like never before, and he's saying, you've got to trust me. You've got to put your faith in me, because here's the deal. Man, we are on the tightrope here, and there is no net. It is you and me. What are you going to do? And that might be where some of you are right now. You are in the midst of a defining moment, and you're pleading with God, and he is there. He is faithful. But you've got to decide what you're going to do with it. When I was 19, I was sitting in a room I, with some of my buddies in the dorm room. I, I think we were studying Greek or praying, but um, we were sitting there, and uh, a guy comes in, one of the older students, and he said, hey, uh, uh, my church... Uh, down uh, in the Missouri, St. James, Missouri, they're looking for a youth minister. Are you guys interested? Now, my buddies are like, oh, no, 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 man, I'm not ready for that. And I go, hey, hey that's why I'm going to school. Yeah, I'll, I'd like that interview. And I thought the guy was kind of kidding. And he came back and goes, oh, you got the interview. It's a you know, week from Sunday. Oh, that's good. You know, did I have a resume? No. Why? No experience. I, I came out of a church of about 100. I had one year of Bible college experience, and I was a very mature 19-year-old at that. So, I go down for this interview, and two miracles happen. Number one, I actually showed up on time in a suit for the interview at age 19. Number two is they hired me for 14 months. And I remember the Sunday night when I actually thought things were going really well in the youth group, and I remember uh, an elder, the chairman of the board, leaned over and said, oh, after tonight's worship service, I'd like to meet with you for a few minutes, which is code for you might as well get in your car. And when I got in there, he didn't disappoint me because now all the elders are sitting there. And I remember them saying something like, you got a lot of potential. Uh, this just isn't a good match. Uh, you're fired. Yeah, I think it went something like that. You're fired. And I just remember being numb. And I, I remember uh, the high school students were at the Pizza Hut. And I remember driving there and I tried to get my, keep my composure. And I just said, I love you guys. God loves you. It's all going to work out. And that's all I could get out. And I ran to my car and drove away. And as I was driving back to St. Louis to the college, I looked to my left and it was a bitter cold February night and there was six flags over mid-America. Have you ever drove by an amusement park in February? That's how I felt. And then the next morning was the defining moment. I went for a walk. Whenever I get really anxious, I go for long walks. And as I'm walking, I'm having it out with God. God, seriously, what just happened? You, you know that's why I'm here, right? And God, seriously, I got to ask you a question. First of all, if I would have punched that elder, would I have gotten in trouble? You know, so I'm not saying everything was a great thought, but that's one of the thoughts. And then as like the longer I walked, I just got this overwhelming sense of peace. And I wish I could tell you that the clouds opened up, you know, and, and a unicorn ran through in front of me and... <laughs> Nothing like that at all. But there was this resounding, just emotion that came through. And it was something like this. You know, there are no guarantees. Ministry is hard. Life is harder. Get up tomorrow morning. Get your books. Go back to class. And that's what I did. Life is hard. 
And some of you right now are going through some really hard times. I want to share these words by Pete Wilson because they have they've made a place in my heart. Maybe it'll make a place in yours. Your dreams may not be happening and things aren't turning out the way that you expected. But that doesn't mean your life is spinning out of control. It just means you're not in control. God is on his throne. God is faithful. God is reaching out to us because guess what? We're not in control. He is.